That's good for that song. Let's take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. While you're turning there, I want you to think about this now before you answer. Uh, sometimes we hear a song like that. It was beautiful. A lot of great truth in there. But how many say, God has been faithful to me? Amen. Amen. Down through the years, uh, he's never left us nor forsook us. And I'm thankful for, that, for all of that. We've been in a little series since really the first of the year. Uh, on this matter of unmovable. That's our theme this year, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. We've been talking about being unmovable, and I want to continue that t- today. And we come to the book of Hebrews, and uh, written to Jewish believers. And a, a Jew has to be saved, just like you and I are saved. So these was written to Jewish Christians, and uh, they'd stepped out of Judaism into Christianity. And many of them were wanting to reverse their course just to escape the persecution from their countrymen, their other, the other Jews, those that still believed and followed the strict rite of Judaism. And many of them were beginning to leave the faith and walk away. And so he tries to gather them in and to teach them in this book that they are to go on to perfection because Christ was better than Moses. And they knew that, but for fear of the people, they began to turn back. And let's stand together, please, reading God's Word. We'll read down... Start in verse number 12, and I'd like to be able to read the whole chapter and deal with the whole chapter. We'll take bits and pieces of it, and uh, Hebrews chapter 3, and I want to say this today, um, as I told the first crowd, the first service, I want you to not just put your thinking caps on and listen to me by word, but I want your heart to really listen today. I'm going to talk a little bit about our emotions, how we feel about things, and um, I'm seeing some things in Christianity that's scaring me. Um, I'm not scared about Jesus Christ coming back or end times or all the things that, that's going to befall this, this world because in the rapture, I'm out of here for the bad stuff. We're going to see some stuff the closer we get to the rapture that's going to, that's going to try all of us. That does not bother me. What bothers me is how Christians are responding to it. And we're going to hit to the heart of that today. And uh, as we consider this thought of being unmovable, look at verse number 12, chapter 3. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But I exhort you, exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, while it is said, today, if you will, heart, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, the provocation speaking of the 40 years, in particular, wandering in the wilderness as they provoke God there. I draw your attention to my text verse. Let's, let's read verse 12 in unison out loud. Verse 12, ready? Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. I'm going to speak on this subject for a while this morning. Unmovable when provoked to turn back. Unmovable when provoked or tempted to turn back. Father, bless your word. Challenge us, Lord, with truth today, we pray. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, it's getting a little warm in here, and I don't need you to go to sleep on me. I'm not going to do any antics or anything to catch your attention, and so I want you to just really pay, pay close attention to where we're going with this thing. I'll give you an outline here in just a while, but let me just say by way of introduction, the human beings are notorious for
were getting their heads in their heads that everything's just going to be the same. Nothing's going to change. We'll never run out of water. We'll never run out of food. We'll never get sick. We will never be invaded by a foreign power. We will never be the ones caught up in some national disaster. But the fact is, history proves that mankind has been confronted with these events down through time. Job sought to prepare us when he wrote these words in Job chapter 5, verse 7. Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. The idea there is just as sure as the steel is put to the grinding wheel, there's going to be sparks. That means just as sure as you and I live life, there's going to be trouble. Again, he said this in chapter 14, verse 1. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Now, I didn't write that. God wrote that for all of us to understand that we're going to have problems in life. Uh, D.L. Moody was a great evangelist near the turn of the century, and his crusades drew thousands to hear him preach. In his memoirs, Moody accounts the biggest mistake of his life. It happened on October 8, 1871, during a preaching series in the Farwell Hall in Chicago, Illinois. His text was, What then shall I do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? At the conclusion of the sermon, Instead of having an invitation for people to be saved, uh, Moody said that he would give people one week to make up their minds about Jesus. He then turned to Iris Sank Sankey, that noted soloist that traveled with him. And Sankey sang the verse, Today the Savior calls. But by the third verse, Sankey's voice was drowned out by the noise outside the hall. The great Chicago fire had begun, and the flames were even then sweeping toward the hall. The clanging of the fire bells and the noise of the engines made it impossible for Sankey to continue the song, and the meeting was immediately closed. That night, 300 people died in the fire, and over 90,000 were left homeless. In the years to follow, Moody never got over it, and he said in his memoir he wished that he had called for an immediate decision for Christ would have had an altar call that night. Now, I don't know why he did that. I don't know that Moody knew exactly why he did that. But everybody in that hall that night felt like they had a little more time. And so many times, people just think that nothing bad will ever happen to them. Now, listen carefully. I'm going to change gears. It is equally true that most Christians never think that that day will come when some event or circumstance will shake their faith to its core. A time when you are provoked to disbelieve what God has said in his word, you think in your heart that you can never be provoked to turn back on God and all that you believe about him. But may I remind you that there are several in scripture that were provoked in this manner. Let me give you just a few. Job, for instance, was provoked. He lost all his wealth, his business. His children were killed in a tornado. He lost his own health. His wife came to him and said this in chapter 2, verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou retain thy integrity, curse God, and die? In the next verse, verse 10, Job said to her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. I like that. Job took his stand. Then again, the three Hebrew children were provoked by King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 14, we find these words. Is it true, Nebuchadnezzar said, 
O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready that at, at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye should be cast the same hour into the midst of a fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? I like their answer. Verse 16. <laughs> o Nebuchadnezzar, <coughs> we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I like that. I like their resiliency. I like their strong faith. Peter and John were provoked to stop preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 4. The government said, but but that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth no man in his name. And they called them and commanded them that they not speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. I like the reply, verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Paul was provoked with being in prison in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20, verse 22. We find these words. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save the Holy Ghost, a witness of the every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Ladies and gentlemen, for every illustration I can give you, for those that were provoked and took their stand by faith for God, I can give you other illustrations of those who did not. Judas Iscariot, Gehazi in the Old Testament, and others who waffled and decided they would turn back on God. Now, I, I, just, uh, I just want you to know that God wants his, does not want his children to live in fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. God wants us to be rigid and resilient in our faith in God. He wants nothing to shake us uh, in our faith. Again, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. <coughs> Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And so God has given us a formula to stick with him, and to abide with him until we see him face to face. But as your pastor, I want you to be unmovable when these things come in your life. And they're going to come. And they're coming right now. I, I, I want you to understand that I don't want to lose anybody. I uh, am watching this very closely right now in the state that our nation is in. I don't know about other nations, but I know what America, the state that America is in. And people are turning back on God left and right. You and I don't need to be a casual. That's why we have the theme this year <laughs> to be unmovable. And in Hebrews chapter 3, the great apostle is discussing the superiority of Christ over Moses. In other words, grace is better than law. How many believe grace is better than the law? I'm glad I live by grace and not by the law. And uh, he is handling, uh, he is showing how both Moses and Christ handled their people differently. 
Then the writer gives an illustration of the provoking of Moses by the people in the wilderness, a great provocation. And he uses that as an illustration for those Jews that walked away from God. Let me remind you that for 40 years, Moses and God put up with all the bickering and whining and complaining of the Hebrews. And God dealt with their unbelief. He finally got tired of it over and over again. And finally, he says this in Numbers chapter 12, or Numbers chapter 14, verse 22. And I quote, Because all those men which have seen my glory, God says, and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it but my servant Caleb. I'm saying this. These Jews in that great provocation in the wilderness provoked, were provoked to disbelieve God and walk away from God and turn on him. And their unbelief provoked God to judge them. Let me say that again. They, provoked, they were provoked to disbelieve God and their unbelief provoked God to judge them. That's just how God works. God wants to bring his children home. And so for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. I think it was a nine-day trip they wandered for 40 days until all those, the Bible says, 20 years old and upward died there. Estimates were that over 90 people died each day for 40 years until they were all killed off. And that pure uh, generation was able to see God's promised land, that great rest that Hebrews talks about. This happened all because of their unbelief in the Lord. Circumstance and events provoked them to turn from God. You may be saying this morning, I don't want to ever be provoked like that. I want to never turn back on God. Well, let me say this very bluntly. No one can stop you from being provoked and tempted to quit. I can't. Nobody here on planet Earth can ever stop you from being provoked or tempted to quit on God. But we can sure look for the warning signs. And we have them right in front of us today. I take you to Hebrews chapter 13. There is a there's found a progression that starts in the heart. Once you write three things down, I'll give you three things. We'll be done. How about that? Number one, notice there is an evil heart of unbelief. For those who turn back on God, it starts with an evil heart of unbelief. Look at verse 12. He says, take heed. By the way, that's a warning. Anytime you find a phrase like beware or take heed in the scriptures, you ought to circle that or underline that in your Bible and memorize that passage. And put into practice in your life because God is telling you something that you need to be aware of. And then we see, secondly, it's not just a, a warning, but it is a warning to the brethren. He says, use the word brethren, in other words, the people of the family of God. He's not talking necessarily to the unsaved here. He's talking to people that know God. He says, beware, brethren. And then thirdly, it is a warning to, to every one of us. Notice the phrase, lest there be in any of you. What does that mean? He talks to brethren, but he talks to every one of the brethren. He's not just talking to the backsliders in the family of God. You may be sitting and say, well, you know, I know what preachers talk about. He's talking about all the backsliders out there. No, no, I'm talking about all of us, every one of us. Even those who walk with God can even have an event happen in their life that will pull them away from God. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Again, our, our text verse for the year, be ye steadfast, 
unmovable. So the apostle is saying here, he said that something can come in your life that can pull you away from your steadfastness. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Want us to consider that thing called unbelief. The Bible says here that the heart of unbelief, the sin of unbelief, the Bible says here in verse 12, is an evil thing. In other words, to turn back on God after he's done so much for us, so much for you and I, is an evil thing. That's why I like Jessica's song. She was singing a moment ago. How many would say again, God has been faithful to us? Then how could we think we ever had a right to turn back on God? And how could we ever let any circumstance or any event come into our life that would cause us to turn back on him? This unbelief is described as evil. Let me give you a definition of evil. Sinful, wicked, base, depraved, diabolical, low down, dirty, vile, corrupt, reprobate, fiendish, devilish. In its rawest form, this turning back on God is declared as evil. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, turning back from God is not a trite thing. It's an evil thing. Yet people, people do it every day. It's sad. For you to cloak your heart, that place where no one else sees but God, for you to cloak your heart in this false, fake belief in God is nothing short of evil. You won't ask yourself right now, just, just, just have a little board meeting. What do I really believe about God? And am I in this state of having an evil heart of unbelief? Here's the progression. It starts with an evil heart of unbelief. Number two, write this down. Uh, a, it leads to, secondly, a departing from the living God. To depart from God means to forsake him, to get yourself to a place where you're willing to walk away from all that you believe about God. This is the acting upon the provoking. We're talking about being provoked or tempted to walk away. All right, no one can stop you from being provoked or tempted. Those events and circumstances, I can't stop them. You can't stop them. They're going to come. But you can stop the action, the acting upon that provoking by walking away from God. Paul told the Christians in Galatians, Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion, that word means this provoking, cometh not of him that calleth you. God doesn't ever put that thought of turning back in your heart. God will never do that. He'll never tempt you to do that. Jesus said to all his disciples, right before he goes to the cross, wilt thou also go away? May I remind you, better men than us did for a season walk away from Jesus Christ. How many thank God that one by one, by faith, they came back and they met in that upper room, 120 of them, and they prayed heaven down and Pentecost came and the great revival there. And you and I have what we have right now because those men were resilient to the provoking, the temptation of the hour. And they were afraid that they would be killed just like Jesus was. There is, first of all, an evil heart of unbelief. Secondly, there is a departing from the living God. Thirdly, there is this hardening through the deceitfulness of sin. The process is now complete. There comes this hardening that no one in this room ever wants to experience. It's a stubbornness that can get so contrary with God 
that moves God to turn you over to his chastening. It provokes God to come and get you. Hebrews 12 and verse 6, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Here's the summary. The root begins in the heart. There's unbelief there that has not been dealt with. Then it continues, secondly, until you depart from God, forsake church, forsake all you believe about God, the Bible, prayer, and begin to live a life away from God. You come out from under that umbrella of his protection. God's only going to hold you there with the word of God and the spirit of God and your love for him. He's not going to stop you if you want to walk away, but he's going to come after you. Then thirdly comes this hardening process, hardening process where you think you're so right and all you built up in your mind, preacher's wrong, the Bible's wrong, everything I've ever known is wrong, I am so right. And when you get to that hardening process, listen to me, Satan will bombard you with all of hell and the deceitfulness of the places of sin so that you never want to repent and return to God. What does that mean? That means that Satan will pull back the veil of the world that the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God in your church family is trying to keep you out of and pulls it back. And, he says, and you say, wow, I've been missing. Look what I've been missing, all of this. And, and now it's part of my life. This is so wonderful until you're on the dung heap of life. And God comes in and judges to bring you home to him. The Old Testament describes it in a very gruesome way. It's like the dog returned to his vomit and the sow that has been cleaned of the slop of the hog pen. You never want to experience it. If you're a true born-again Christian, you never want to experience that. You may be asking yourself, by the way, let me, let me do this right now. Let's take the time to do it. This is what ran me over in the last service. Turn back to Romans chapter 1. Let me just show you this. Romans chapter, right here is where we're living right now. Uh, this happened in the Old Testament. In Judah's day, in Israel's day, it happened during the Roman Empire. When it fell, the world got so perverted. It happened in the days of Lot. It happened in the days of Noah. It happened. And now we're seeing it happen again. I wish I had time to go back and read most of this chapter. I just want to pick up reading verse number 28. And uh, Paul warns the Romans here of this hardening process. It gets so bad that we get to verse 28. After God's shown all of his glory, verse 28, chapter 1, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, you can get that place. God, just get out of my life. Get away from me. It says, even as they do not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That is the epitome of the hardening process. To do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication and wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness. This is the deceit of, the sin, the deceit of sin. Full of envy and murder and debate and deceit and uh, malignity and, and this, this, this it's sin that spreads bad character and whisperers and backbiters and haters of God, uh, dis, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, that means irreconcilable, unmerciful, watch this now, who knowing the judgment of God, that means they knew better, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only to do the same, watch this now, but have pleasure in them that do them. Turn back to Hebrews chapter number three. All of us know people that have lived for the Lord and gone back out into the world. 
And apart from the grace of God and them understanding the chasing hand of God, they just keep going down and down and down until they are miserable. You never want to experience that. You may be asking yourself right now, how do I remain unmovable when I am provoked or tempted to turn back? This is what I'm saying now. This is the beauty of the Bible. The help is found right here in the text in Hebrews chapter 3. Not only does God warn us about some things, but he shows us how to avoid it. And I want you to write these three things down in closing. Number one, what can I do? Number one, rehearse Bible history. That sounds simple. Rehearse Bible history. And what I mean by that is, as you read your Bible, that's exactly what you're doing. The Bible was written in, a, in a, another time of history. You and I get a chance to go back and read that. For instance, we read, if we read down through verses 1 through, through, through uh, 7, <clears throat> we find where he's talking about <clears throat> the provocation there, <clears throat> excuse me, in the wilderness, and we get to learn what they did. The provocation there, how, God, how God, they provoked God, and God was provoked to judge them, and then around and around they went. The book of Judges, how they would get right with God, and they'd backslide again, get right in God, backslide, all that. The captivities of God's people, the Assyrian captivity, the Babylonian captivity, you and I can learn from history. But here's what they did. There is a little progression here on this first point, rehearse Bible history. As you and I read the Bible, we find out, first of all, they, they tempted God to judge them. In verse 9, the Bible says, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years... They did those things to God, knowing full well that God was going to tempt them. Ladies and gentlemen, you say, why would people do that? That's exactly what America is doing right now. With homosexual marriage and abortion on demand, America is tempting God right now to judge us. As you now read the Bible, we understand these are things that should not be in our lives. May God help us. They tempted God to judge them. Secondly, they erred in their hearts. What does that mean to err in their hearts? That means they made some great mistakes about God. I want you to hold your place there. Let me just read this. I'm there right now. Let me just read it. Here the Bible talks about making an error about God. James chapter 1, verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Then it says this. Do not err, my beloved, what? Brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variable or shadow of turning. Understand that the brethren heirs, and the apostles talk about that here as well, we err when we mistake God uh, and how he works, which leads me to my third thing. I'm talking about how when we read the Word of God, when we rehearse Bible history, we find out that people tempted God. He judged them. They erred in their hearts. He judged them. The third thing is this, they didn't know his ways. Look at verse number 10. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart. It starts in the heart. They make, they make mistakes. They make bad judgment calls about God. Preacher, how can I keep from doing that? Look at the verse. They have not known my ways. Know his ways. If you know how God works and you know his ways, then you know how to compensate in your own life and don't fall in the hands of an angry God. It's a very simple thing. I mean, you know what the rules are. That's why you and I, not just we, we rehearse Bible history, 
it leads us to read the Word of God every single day. You and I should be found in the Word of God. If we're ever going to break the cycle of apostasy that's going on right now, you and I are going to be found in the Word of God and believing and heeding those things in the Bible. How do I stop this from happening? How do I become unmovable, preacher? First of all, rehearse Bible history. That's what's taking place right here in verses 7 through 11. Number two, hear the Holy Spirit's voice. Hear the Holy Spirit's voice. Verse 7 says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, and he's talking to New Testament Christians here, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the day of provocation, <laughs> as in the days that, that Israel was provoked with unbelief and turned God to provoke, uh, provoke God to judge them. He said, very, very simple, hear the voice of God. Hear the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. He says again to us in verse 15, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. Now, I'm simply saying that uh, if you and I are going to keep from being tempted to walk away from God, then it is mandatory to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God if you're going to withstand the great temptations of this world. Every day you get out of bed, you expect me to do this as your pastor, but every day you get out of bed, you got to pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. He lives inside of all of us, and you need him more than you need breath in your bones. If you're going to escape this world, still walk with God, you've got to be filled with the Spirit of God and not be full of some of the foolishness that some Christians bring in their life. Let me ask you this question. I'm not being charismatic here. How many believe that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us? That's what the Bible says. That's doctrine. And how many believe that you can hear his still small voice as you read his word? Certainly you can. He wrote it. He illuminates that to us. He puts the light on it, says, do that. Don't do this. Do this. Don't do that. And understand that the way you and I are going to escape this is we must rehearse the Bible. History means read the word of God. We must hear the Holy Spirit's voice. And number three, this is going to shock you. We should assemble regularly with the brethren for exhortation. We should assemble, assemble regularly with the brethren for exhortation. Look at verse 13. But exhort one another daily. Well, it is called today. Lest, in other words, he's saying, because if, if you don't do this, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We're made partakers of Christ. That means we're in this partnership with Christ. All of us that are born again, we're looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, not man, Jesus. And if we all keep our eyes on Jesus, we'll believe the same thing. We all keep our eyes on the Word of God, we'll believe the same thing. Jesus is the Word. It's just like this great triangle. We're moving in the same direction. As we move in the same direction toward one focal point, Jesus Christ, we believe the same thing, we act the same way. We start reading every other book or every other philosophy or every other news blog or every other uh, uh, antichrist that's out there, then we become confused and disassembled and in disarray. And you and I should always keep our eyes on that great partnership we have with Jesus Christ moving in the same direction toward him. I'm, I'm shocked at what people do and call themselves a Christian. Well, they would not do that if they're reading the same Bible that I'm reading and you're reading. And so the great focal point is the church of the living God, which Jesus Christ 
died for the church. He gave himself forth, the Bible says, not any other parachurch organization. Jesus died for the church. It is the foundation. And so he says here in verse 13, but exhort one another. That means that word means encourage, to urge. That means that every time you and I come together, we should be encouraging each other. Take your Bibles and just real quick and turn to uh, chapter number 12. Let's look at it just the uh, same book, Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse, uh, not chapter 12. Oh, let's see. Uh, oh, now watch this now. Hebrews chapter 10, I believe it is. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's see if that's it. Yeah, verse 25. Look, look at verse 24. Look at verse 23. We bring all this, verse 23, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. We bring all this kind of in, in focus now. He says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. He's talking about that moving again, walking away, for he is faithful to promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Does anybody see this coming together? Thank you. I'm glad you see it. We should be provoking each other, exhorting each other, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. How many believe Jesus Christ is coming back? All right. You understand the big bombshell that was, that was dropped on America with COVID-19 last March 15th. Churches closed all over America, all over the world. Some of them are still not open. And this is a place that God has called us to come to assemble. And by the way, I understand the disease. I understand the infectious rate. I understand all of that. I did not do this. Uh, Satan did this to implode the church so that you and I couldn't shake hands. We couldn't give that, that, uh, that old uh, Christian uh, shoulder bump that men get. God bless you, brother. Good to see you. And we couldn't have that sweet fellowship. And we couldn't meet together. We couldn't see each other's faces that encourage us. And ladies and gentlemen, one of the ways that you and I are going to stem the tide in this matter of walking away and being provoked to turn on God, one of the ways is to be in the house of God. All of you watching online, God bless every one of you. We look forward to getting you back in church just as quick as we can. And if you're watching online in some other state somewhere, let me challenge you that as soon as those doors are open in those churches and the COVID-19 rate is down, you get in the house of God. We'll take a shot. Don't take a shot. No matter what you, I'm just saying, we need to be in the house of God. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I need each other. You know what's really, really bad? And we have witnessed of this year to go have a funeral service or a graveside where people couldn't come because of the COVID-19 thing. Do you understand why people attend the families and the loved ones of the deceased at a funeral on a graveside? Do you know why we do that? Do you know why we bring our casseroles and we send our thank you cards? Do you know why we do all that? To encourage each other, to exhort each other, to pick up and go on. It's a dark hour. I know you can make it. I know you can do this. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what the church is supposed to do. And we've been gutted of that. May God help us to see that as quickly as we can, we better get our feet under us and get in the Word of God and rehearse Bible history in our minds. Be filled with the Spirit of God and reignite your prayer life and be faithful to the house of God. God is not being trite when he says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. People whine about not being able to go to baseball games. 
NASCAR races and all those things. Well, Rudy Toot Toot, we ought to be mourning about the fact that we can't be in the house of God like we should be. By the way, for those of you who are guests today, we've taken out 600 chairs and 1,200-seat auditorium, but I can tell you that with this morning's crowd and this crowd, we get everybody back together, we're going to be okay. You say, why does that matter? Oh, okay. Anybody ever played basketball in high school? Hold your, you ever played basketball in high school? Hold your hand up. All right, good. I did a little bit, a little bit, until I decided I could make money and buy me a car. <laughs> and that went out the window. All right. But I played. Do you know what was the most fun? When that gym was packed and the cheerleaders had them going. They're blowing horns and ringing cowbells, and they'd come up with some of the craziest stuff, and you'd be out there, buddy, and your blood just get to boiling. You understand something? That's why God designed the church to be that way. People are relational, and you and I need to understand, okay, Satan's pulled that away from us for a while. Let's find a way to be resilient until we get it back. Rehearse the Bible. Hear the Holy Spirit's voice regularly assemble and exhort each other we see the progression but we see the answer to all of it say preacher that's just never going to happen to me ted turner was the founder of turner broadcasting and what is known today as cnn he was once married to the notorious jane fonda and he once criticized in the atlanta journal criticized fundamentalist christianity and said this, Jesus probably would be sick at his stomach over the way his ideas have been twisted. Turner made his remarks at an evening banquet in 1990 in Orlando, Florida, where he was about to receive a reward by the American Humanist Association for his work on behalf of the environment and world peace. By the way, on a little caveat here, we're studying prophecy on Wednesday night. You ought to go back and look and see what these... Uh, Wealthy people like Soros and some of these other people out there that own these big things. You ought to go see what, where their money goes. Turner said <clears throat> he had a strict Christian upbringing and at one time considered becoming a missionary. <clears throat> By the way, I do believe that was true in his life. He says this, I was saved seven or eight times. You and I know you're saved one time, but he obviously did not have good teaching there. The newspaper quoted him as saying, but he said he became disenchanted with Christianity after his sister died. Despite his prayers for his sister, nothing happened and she died. Turner said, the more he strayed from his faith, I'm quoting now, the better I felt. We talk about preacher. I'm talking about if Satan can get this little seed of unbelief in your heart. And begins to fester, it's not dealt with. And before long, he pulls you completely away. And after he pulls you away, the bright lights come on. And the big city life and the deceitfulness of pleasures of sin. They said about Moses for a season. Because it doesn't last. I just keep walking further and further away from God. And as you walk, this hardening process comes on you. This sheen, this... This contrary heart. 
where you'll get like somebody like Ted Turner and only God knows if you're saved, lost, only God knows. And you get to where you don't want nothing to do with it. In fact, you take pleasure, as Romans 1 says, with the people of the world that work against the church. Someday, and I pray not, something could happen to you in your life that will provoke you to turn from God. And thus, our theme this year, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. Quote it with me, ready? Unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's stand together, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. The devil will get you to think that all you do for the Lord is in vain. It's a waste of time. It's another warning sign. The Bible is very clear in this. A nine-day trip for the Jews in that day of provocation, nine-day trip turned into 40 years. Don't you think a lot of them just said, well, what's the use? We're never going to get where this Moses, he don't have a clue where we're going. We're never going to get there. And 90 funerals a day still wouldn't wake them up. Don't ever let your heart get that place. I want to ask you a question. With the heads bowed, her eyes closed, they're going to play softly here. Let me ask you this question. Let me say this, preacher. I'm going to pray today that I never get in that state. And understand now before you lift your hand. The disciples got there. Others got there. You and I are taught in the Word how not to get there. How many lift their hand today and just say, Preacher, I'm going to pray that I'm not provoked to turn back on God. Would you hold your hand up? You're going to be unmovable. Unmovable. Today, if you're not sure that heaven's your home, you're in the best place you can be to come to the Lord, would you do that? Well, if somebody waited on you with a Bible in their hand, they'll take that Bible today and show you how you could be a born-again Christian. Today, if you've been saved, not been baptized, we'll help you with that. Let's let the Lord deal with our hearts. Today, if you want to join our church, we want you to come. Father, bless now, please, I pray. Show us the way, please. Help us to be unmovable in this provoking that comes. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. We're singing out. You come, would you? Come right on. God's speaking to your heart today. The altar is open. about her eyes are closed we're going to sing that course together as a church family you know it's not enough to say to God not on my watch not in my house I'm not that's never going to happen in my life it's not enough just to say that that's good old-fashioned resiliency and thank God for all of that zeal and all that somewhere along the line you better put some machinery to that some mechanics to that where you get in the word of God in a real way you devour the scriptures and you walk with God with the spirit of God and you say I'll be faithful to church Father bless now we pray please as we sing this course together sing the course would you
you may be seated. Father, thank you for your word today. Challenge us, Lord, to stand strong for you with the help given in the Bible today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. We went just a little longer, and I told the uh, first service, I just felt like you need to get your money's worth. You hadn't been here for a while. <laughs> and uh, I love you. I want you to know that. I just want to see everybody in the fold. We see Jesus face to face. And so sometimes just to buckle down and get some good old-fashioned hard preaching about what the Bible says uh, just helps us and draws us and gets us the place we need to be. Brother Pearson. All right, I want to remind you to sign up for uh, the Sportsman's Night, March the 6th. We'd love to have our church family here as well. It is an outreach event. The gospel will be given, and so obviously having an opportunity uh, for you there to maybe help somebody uh, to understand the gospel and be saved or to deal with somebody afterward maybe maybe an opportunity there for you to do that. So we'd love for you to be here. If you um, have trouble signing up, obviously frbc.com, signing up online. If you have any trouble with that, we do have folks at the information desk after each service to help you with any of those things that you need to sign up for, whether it's a sportsman's night or anything else. So you visit them. And guests, obviously, we'd love for you to stop by and greet our pastor and his wife here in just a moment at the uh, information desk as well. Would you stand with me? And let's sing together. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. He loves me, loves me. Hey, one, one real quick thing. Sorry about that, Miss Tori. I probably, she was ready to go. She was getting down on that thing. Uh, next Sunday is Vision Offering Sunday, and we're going to use the Vision Offering to take uh, to put against our, our uh, debt retirement. So I want you to plan to bring an extra gift next Sunday and designate that for Vision Offering. God bless you. All right. Jesus loves even me. I'm so glad that Jesus loves me. Let's sing it now. Ready? I am so glad that Jesus afternoon. Just leave a little bit of space around you as you exit, and uh, I know that there'll be plenty of room for you right now. Most of the other folks are parking their vehicles. God bless you. We'll see you tonight for evening service at 630.